You know, a few years ago, there was a book that came out entitled The Myth of Greener Grass, is written by a J. Allen Peterson. And in his book, he recounts a story where a dozen or so married women gathered together for an afternoon luncheon. And as time progressed, along with accompanying alcoholic beverages, the conversation started to get a little more, shall I say, freer, where they were more emboldened to ask really intimate and even darker uh, questions such as this question asked by one woman in the group. How many of you ladies in here have been faithful to your husband? Shockingly, only one woman raised her hand. Another woman who attended that uh, event later that evening told her husband of what happened and her response or her lack of response to which she quickly said, but honey, I've been faithful. I've been so faithful to which her husband then responded. Well, then why didn't you raise your hand? You know what the woman said? Because I was ashamed. Because I was ashamed. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a very stupid reason to not acknowledge your faithfulness. Why in the world would that woman be ashamed to admit that she was faithful to her husband? But then again, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. And if it doesn't, for some of you, consider these words from Pastor Mark Buchanan when he writes this, quote, Look how we use the word faithfulness in everyday speech. My husband, how can I describe him? Uh, Let me say this. He's faithful. Code language for he's a drudge, a bean counter, a plotter. He gets the job done, but with no aplomb or pizzazz. If we call a car faithful, we mean it's functional, not fast, not flashy. It's drab and boxy, an old dre horse. End quote. When was the last time anyone ever complimented you for being quote-unquote faithful. You know what there, John? You're such a faithful guy. When was the last time everyone ever complimented you like that? Probably not in a while, probably not at all. And if you're one of the rare few who have, let me ask this. How did it make you feel? Probably not as good as being complimented on your looks, your personality, or your talent. And it's because of this dullness that we have as a society when it comes to faithfulness, we can take this idea and apply it to God when we talk about the topic that we're going to be talking about today as we end the series that we've been on for the past few months entitled God as He Is, looking at the various attributes of God. Yes, we are going to talk about the faithful God, to which some of you might be like, really? You want to talk about God's faithfulness? Come on, PJ, don't you want to end this series in a blaze of glory? Why not talk about God's wrath or God's omnipotence, his power? You know, something more thrilling, more edgy, not some stale old topic like faithfulness, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong, because I want to try and show you today, hopefully, that this idea of God's faithfulness is something, whether you are aware or not, is something all of us in here crave. Even those of you in here who may not call yourselves Christian. Every human being that walks on this earth hungers and yearns for the faithfulness of God. How can that be so? Well, as we take a look at this well-known passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to come discover why the faithfulness of God is so crucial. So with that in mind, three things I'm going to share with you this morning. Number one, why we need God's faithfulness. Number two, what hinders God's faithfulness. And finally, how God ensures his faithfulness. Why we need his faithfulness, what hinders it, and how God ensures his faithfulness to us, okay? Let's jump right in. First, why we need God's faithfulness. So, as most of you know, I have a lot of kids, okay? A lot 
of children. <clears throat> My home is filled with them, ranging from seven months to nine years of age. And because that is so, I am constantly reminded of how important and how necessary faithfulness is. Because as boring and mundane faithfulness can seem, it is the vital thing that determines whether or not my house is chaotic or stable or even life and death, right? I mean, for example, consider my youngest, Josiah. If you think about his condition right now as a little baby, it's kind of grim, right? He can't really see because his eyes aren't fully developing, so everything is hazy. He's disoriented. He has no control of his arms or his legs, always smacking himself in the face or usually me. He can't walk, so he's paralyzed, and he's always soiling himself he has no control of his bowels because he's always wearing diapers if an adult male or female was in that condition we would absolutely pity that person would we not and yet we don't pity babies right because it's normal for them to be born in that kind of a helpless condition right it's the recurring pattern that they are in that we are familiar with. But here's the thing. Like anything that's a recurring pattern, oh, I don't know, like a train recurrently going by your apartment to where you can't even hear it anymore or recurring odor in your apartment to where you no longer smell it, so also this recurring pattern of children can blind us to a life principle that God wants us to be aware of that he's trying to teach us just in this real-life example of babies. And what is this life principle? It's this. Faithfulness is required if you want to become whole or fulfilled. Faithfulness is required if you want to be whole or fulfilled. I mean, just think about it. When we come into this world as little babes, we're always longing to be fulfilled, right? We long for our mother's milk so that our stomachs can be fulfilled. We long for mom's touch and her voice so that we can have our longing for comfort, for safety fulfilled. We long <clears throat> for mom's provision so we can have our longing for shelter, for clothing on our body to be fulfilled. The importance of faithfulness is seen most vividly in the real life example of a baby depending on the faithfulness of mom to be fulfilled 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 what an interesting word isn't it fulfilled it comes from the old english that literally means fill to the full fill to the full <clears throat> and it's a word that we never really <clears throat> lose relevance over it's a word that's still very relevant to us because even though we outgrow our infantile needs we hardly if ever outgrow our need for fulfillment right consider these words from theologian ronald rollheiser he says this quote it is no easy task to walk on this earth and find peace inside of us it would seem something is at odds with the very rhythm of things and we are forever restless dissatisfied frustrated and aching we are so overcharged with desire that it's hard to come to simple rest desire is always stronger than satisfaction put more simply there is within us a fundamental dis-ease an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life of ever coming to full peace you know life in many ways can be described as constant Longing, a constant desire to be whole, uh, uh, to have fulfillment, to have wholeness and completion within us. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a non-Christian, if you're a Democrat, Republican, Asian, non-Asian, male or female. This is true of every single one of us in this room. We never grow out of our need for fulfillment. And because that is so, 
That also means we never outgrow our need for someone to be faithful to us. I mean, just think about some of the common things we long for as fulfillment. Our longing for marriage, our longing for children, our longing for a satisfying job, our longing for financial security. All of these things and more require something outside of us or someone outside of us to be faithful to us in order for these things to happen. We need a faithful spouse. We need faithful working reproductive systems. We need a faithful growing company. We need a faithful booming economy. We need faithful things to be faithful to us in order for us to be fulfilled. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that all of these faithful agents, a thing, a scenario, a situation, or a person, Behind all of it is the faithful God. Consider our passage starting in verse 13 and 14 where we read, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swore, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Here our passage opens up with the Old Testament patriarch Abraham. And for those of you who are familiar with his story in Genesis you are clearly aware of what this passage is referring to Abraham. You see, Abraham was a very old man by the time God first came into his life. 75 years old to be exact. And you would think that a man that old probably doesn't have much yearning to want to find fulfillment in other than maybe just wanting to die a nice peaceful death, right? And yet, if you read again what we just did in verse 14, you come to discover that this man, Abe, still had a lot of longing for fulfillment. What does that say? Surely I will bless you and multiply you. What is that? That is a statement from God where he is promising good old Abe that he is going to give him kids, lots and lots of kids coming out of his line. You see, Abraham and his wife Sarah, prior to this engagement of God, lived most of their marriage, all of their marriage, as a barren couple. For years and years, they would try to have kids, but no fortune. And if you know anything about the culture of the Old Testament, you would know that having kids was so vital, so crucial for a person to be fulfilled. In fact, if you were one of those people who could not have kids, you interpreted that as a curse from God to the point that it was the same thing as getting your death sentence. In fact, one famous character by the name of Rachel said this to her husband in Genesis 30 after she unsuccessfully... uh, try to get pregnant she said to her husband give me children or i'll die <laughs> see having children in the ancient near east was the equivalent of having a successful flourishing career here in new york city it was a primary in fact ultimate means of living a fulfilled life it was a major source of fulfillment and yet when you consider how old this man was for god to make this promise was kind of ludicrous if you think about it because i mean i'm thinking it from this standpoint if god had planned to give abraham kids why does he wait until the man is already way collecting social security at this point why does he wait until abraham is is old and gray to give him kids well i actually already told you one of the answers It's because God is trying to teach Abraham that we never outgrow our need for faithfulness, evidenced by the fact that we never outgrow for our longing for fulfillment. But with that said, there is another truth that's more important than this. And that truth is no one will ever be faithful to us the way we need them to be like God. Let me say that one more time. 
No one will be faithful to us the way we need it the most than God. I mean, consider Abraham's situation. If he's going to even have the chance of being a father, he needs a miracle. And by definition, the only person capable of providing a miracle is God himself. This is why it says what it does in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swore, he, God, swore by himself. In other words, the only person whom Abraham could count on to where God would fulfill his promise was God himself. You see, God is trying to teach Abraham and he's trying to teach us that he, by nature, he is a faithful God. And what I mean by that is he, by nature, is committed to your flourishing, for your fulfillment. God, by his very core nature, is not a cruel, apathetic, distant God where he could care less about how fulfilled you are. No, at his core, at his nature, he cannot help it by his very being. He is committed to you living a truly fulfilled life. Consider this quote from theologian A.W. Tozer when he says, God, being who he is, cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and therefore immutable. So all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful men become unfaithful out of desire fear weakness loss of interest or because of some strong influence from without none of these forces can affect god in any way he is his own reason for all he is and does he is his own reason for all he is and does in other words whatever reason that only those but really only god requires he is faithfully committed to making sure that you live a truly, truly fulfilled life. Now, at this point, you're hearing what I'm saying. You may want to believe with it, believe what I'm saying. You may want to agree with it. But the fact of the matter is you don't. And the reason why you don't is because, quite honestly, you feel like God has failed you in living a fulfilled life. Here you are waiting for some sort of fulfillment, and yet you're still waiting. And this idea of God making these promises that he's always going to be faithful in his commitment of making sure that you live a fulfilled life has left you in your life experience thinking that he's a liar, right? How can you deal with this issue with the fact that your life seems to testify the complete opposite of what scripture is teaching us today? That's a great question. And to lead me to our answer, we go to the next point. What hinders God's faithfulness? Read again with me verse 15 where it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, according to this verse, it seems to be saying that God fulfilled his promise that he made in verse 4, that he's going to greatly bless and greatly multiply Abraham to where he's going to have like tons and tons of children. We're talking about millions, billions, trillions, okay? As numerous as the stars in the sky. And yet, if you look at the original source in which this promise was made in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, you come to discover that actually is not technically true. Read again, starting in verse 16 of Genesis 22, where it says, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. There it is. Like the stars in the skies and the sands on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the city of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Hmm. Now, 
quick FYI, Abraham lived up to the ripe old age of 175, which means if you consider the time in which God first came into his life to the time that he left this earth, it's 100 years, 100 years. Now, do you know how many children Abraham had in just 100 years? Two. (laughs) He only had two kids, two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Those were his only two sons. Now, come on, two sons? I have five kids, and even I cannot be so bold as to say that I have descendants beyond number, even though I honestly feel like that all the time, right? I do feel like that, but I can't say because I clearly don't. And so we're left with a question. How in the world can it be correct what verse 15 says that Abraham saw this fulfillment, that God was faithful when technically from Abraham's vantage point, God actually didn't follow through on his promise. We have to fast forward in the book of Hebrews to chapter 11, where landing in verse 8, we start reading this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the skies and the sands on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. And listen to what it says. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. So here is such an interesting passage. You see, even though God eventually fulfilled his promise to Abraham by creating many descendants, right? It did not happen in Abraham's lifetime. He personally did not experience, he personally did not encounter God fulfilling this promise that he gave him when he first called him into a relationship with him. He did not receive it. As it says in verse 13, they, including Abraham and Sarah, did not receive what was promised. So again, how can verse 15 of our passage for today be true in what it's saying that they were fulfilled by God, that Abraham was fulfilled by God, when in Hebrews 11, it says that he didn't receive what was promised. The answer is found in verse 10 of Hebrews 11. Read it again. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. In his book, Things Unseen, Pastor Mark Buchanan shares a personal story And it starts off like this. Last year, I saw the accomplishment of a lifelong dream. I held in my hand my first published book, 20 years of dreaming, eight years of writing, all the labyrinth of contracts and editing and marketing and distributing finished, all the prayers and hopes and efforts converging in one glorious moment. And it wasn't enough. It didn't forever satisfy me. It didn't take away all my hunger, all my fears. It didn't answer all my longings or quell all my insecurities. It didn't fulfill me. Well, aren't you a spoiled brat, you might say. But imagine for a moment. Imagine that such accomplishments are all there is. Imagine that our triumphs are the highest heights we'll ever attain. Imagine that this is as good as it gets. Is it enough? Is it enough? 
you know, one of the most crucial life lessons that everyone must learn and yet so few ever do is this. It is possible to be fulfilled while you're unfulfilled. And it's also possible to be unfulfilled while you are fulfilled. Let me say that again. It is possible to be fulfilled while you're unfulfilled. And it's also possible to be unfulfilled while you are fulfilled. Now you hear that and it can come across as such an idiotic statement, right? Because our natural instinct is to think the opposite. It's impossible to be fulfilled while you're unfulfilled. And it's impossible to be unfulfilled while you are fulfilled, right? And yet if we're paying attention to life as Pastor Mark Buchanan did, you'll come to discover that life drops some very loud and obvious hints that our natural instincts are off. A couple of examples. You're single and you're longing for the fulfillment of marriage and you're waiting, God, will you be faithful and give me a husband, give me a man, give me a wife. And he does. And you're happy for like three months. No, I'm just saying, longer than that, right? And you're fulfilled. But then, after around year one, year two, whatever it is for you, this longing that you thought would be fulfilled is for some reason coming back. Or maybe it never came. Or maybe you're a college student attending this university and you're longing for the fulfillment of a wonderful career in law, in medicine, in business, in pharmacy. And you are that doctor. You are that lawyer. You are that pharmacist. You are that executive. And yet, after doing it for a couple years and being confronted with all the hardships that come out with it, you discover, man, this this got old really quick. (laughs) Or... Maybe you're one of those people where you're always dealing with um, a constant desire to go somewhere where you are now. And you're thinking, if only I just moved to that city, if only I live in this part of the world, if only I get to this part of the country, then I can deal with this internal angst that's always robbing me of feeling unsettled. And so you move to that city, you go to that part of the world, and all of a sudden you're discovering that you're still unsettled even after you've settled down. What is that? That's life trying to give you the hint that our natural instincts of what we think true fulfillment is, is completely off. It's completely off. But here's what's so tragic about all of this. Even when life is dropping these obvious hints about how our radar of fulfillment is off, we refuse to accept the truth. We refuse to accept that it is possible to be fulfilled while unfulfilled. And it is possible to be unfulfilled while fulfilled. No, like, no, 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 no. I don't want to believe that. I just need to move to the next city. I just need to marry another person. I just need to move to that other place or get a new job. And so we keep on this facade, this chase of always trying to find this elusive thing of fulfillment. And because we're so stubborn in our disbelief, God's faithfulness is hindered. Not because God is actually unfaithful. Rather, it's because our perception of God's faithfulness is hindered. See, if you're here today and you think God has been unfaithful to you because you're not fulfilled, it's not because God has a faithfulness problem. It's because you have a perception problem. You have a perception problem. And the base of this perception problem is due to a miscalculated answer to the question that you've been asking. What is true fulfillment? What is true fulfillment? The Bible tells us very clearly 
that true fulfillment is not found in an earthly person, in an earthly place, right? or in an earthly price. Rather, it's found in what these things point to. Consider again this famous quote from C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. Perception. Perception. Now you hear this and you're like, well, Pastor John, that's quite a risky thing to believe what you're offering what you're suggesting we should because how do i know i mean after all i haven't been everywhere i haven't been with everyone right and i haven't been to every place so maybe i just need to do that and then when i've exhausted all possible means i can then consider what you're saying how are you going to do that you're going to live what uh, maybe another 20 30 40 years or maybe another year do you really have time to explore everything and to encounter everyone and to engage every endeavor? You have a choice to make. The question is, how do you know which choice is the right one? This world or heaven? This leads me to my final point, how God ensures his faithfulness. You know, I've been talking a lot so far about fulfillment, but yet I haven't really gave you a clear, concrete understanding of what it means to be fulfilled. Yeah, I know I said in my first point that fulfillment comes from that old English word that literally means filled to the full, giving this sense of feeling complete, feeling full. But that's still so abstract. It's so very unclear. And I know I said in my second point that fulfillment gives off this idea of being completely satisfied where you feel like nothing is missing. Everything is there that should be there, right? But again, that does sound still very obtuse, very nebulous. What does it truly mean to be truly fulfilled? Well, I think you begin to answer that question by first answering another, and it's this question. How do you become fulfilled? How do you become fulfilled? Now, I know that seems like a very complicated question to ask because we assume that the answer is going to be different for everyone. Because after all, all of us have different conceptions of what we think would fulfill us. For some, fulfillment comes in a marriage. For others, it's running a 24K marathon. For others, it's extensive travel. And then for others, it's having kids, right? And because that is so, we just assume that that question does not have one answer that is universal and true for everyone, right? We just assume, no, there's no clear, concrete answer to that. It's very subjective. It's very diverse. Well, I would like to suggest to you that actually that's not true. I believe that you can answer that question in such a way with an answer that is universally true for everyone by first asking, what do all these various fulfillments that people chase after, marathon, marriage, travel, what do all of those things have in common? Do you know? Maturity. Maturity. You know, uh, my oldest, Kara, <clears throat> is always saying to her mother and I this statement almost every other day. I can't wait until dot, dot, dot. Daddy, I can't wait until I'm old enough to sit in the front seat of the car. Daddy, I can't wait until I'm old enough so I can drink coffee because it smells so good. Daddy, I can't wait until I can watch that PG-13 movie. <laughs> now, don't feel sorry for my daughter, all right? She's a happy child. She is. She is, I swear to you. 
She's a happy child, but she's not a fulfilled child. She's not a fulfilled child. You know why? Because there's still a lot of opportunity, a lot of experience, a lot of people out there waiting for her to enjoy being around and to experience, but they have to wait until she's matured enough biologically, emotionally, physically, psychologically to where she could truly understand, comprehend, and therefore enjoy. So with that in mind, how do you become a fulfilled person? By maturing, by maturity. When you become mature, you are able to be fulfilled. And if what I said in my second point is actually true, that the only true fulfillment is not of this earth, but is of the other world, what does that tell us where true fulfillment is found? True fulfillment is found in spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, which begs the question, how do you become spiritually mature. Consider these verses 19 to 20 of our passage. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our forerunner. What is a forerunner? It's not a brand of Toyota vehicle, okay? Is it? No, it's forerunner Ford or Toyota. It's Toyota, right? It's a Ford? Toyota, Toyota. Jesus is not a Toyota vehicle. So what is a forerunner? A forerunner is someone who literally runs ahead of you. He is before you in running, right? Why? So that you know where you need to go. A forerunner is someone who you follow, okay? And the reason why you follow is because that forerunner is currently preparing a place for you so that as you follow that person, that place will be ready when you catch up to that person. Jesus is our forerunner. Okay, and that's what it means to be spiritually mature. To be spiritually mature is someone who follows Jesus in such a way that you'll end up in the place that he's currently preparing for you right now, which the author of Hebrews tells us is what? The inner place behind the curtain. The inner place behind the curtain. What in the world is that? It simply is referring to the inner temple, the inner temple of God's presence. And if you read Psalm 84, that's where we find true fulfillment how lovely is your dwelling place lord almighty my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the lord my heart and my flesh cry out for the living god even the sparrow has a found has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar lord almighty my god and my king blessed are those who dwell in your house they are ever praising you what is fulfillment True fulfillment is not the job, it's not the ring, it's not the relationship, it's not the child. True fulfillment, where God is 100% committed to and will always be faithful in ensuring if you follow Jesus, is to be in God's presence where you're given the highest status possible, where you are fully accepted because the most powerful, the most important, the most beautiful person wants you to be with them forever. That is true fulfillment. And when you realize that is what true fulfillment is, then you begin to understand why God is so committed and why he's so faithful. The Bible tells us over and over that God is committed to one thing where he will always be faithful without a doubt. You know what that is? Your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity. 
Do you not remember Philippians 1, verse 6? For I, this is Paul talking, am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. How can Paul be so confident that God is going to make sure that the maturity that he started the moment you became a Christian will happen until Jesus comes back? Because he is confident of God's faithfulness, because he knows that God is faithfully committed to your ultimate fulfillment, which in his mind and in the Bible's mind is being in the presence of God. To where you are with him, he is with you for all eternity, and there is nothing but joy and fulfillment. God is faithfully committed to this. And do you know why he is? It's because of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says, even though you are and I am a wicked sinner who deserves to be rejected, who deserves to be stripped of any status to where we are permanently unfulfilled, where we are hopelessly incomplete and we are forever missing out, we won't. Instead, we will be fulfilled permanently. We will finally have completion. We will be forever attaining. Why? Because God loved us so much that he came into the world as Jesus so that he could undermine the very thing, the one thing that would have justified him in being no longer faithful to you. He undermined sin. God undermined the only thing that would have justified him in relinquishing his faithful love to you. But because he undermined that, that means he cannot be unfaithful. And he must always be faithful. But it all begins with you and I believing the gospel. Believing the gospel. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself really frustrated and really longing for fulfillment, it begins by believing the gospel. If you are a follower of Jesus, right? And you find yourself being quite unfulfilled and quite disorganized and disillusioned. I remind you of what you needed to do when you first came to Christ. You need to believe the gospel and keep following the forerunner who is leading you to the place of true fulfillment. Here's the question. Have you forgotten that? And how have you relinquished that and followed some other forerunner that's leading you down a path that promises fulfillment, but in the end will leave you in much wanting and in much disgruntledness? I want to end my message with a couple of next steps. First, again, for those of you who are visiting us and who are new to the faith, new to church, if this message has really hit something in an area where you are really itching, take this time now and begin the journey of true fulfillment by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Confess your sins, turn away from them, and make Jesus your king and no longer your own king. And you begin a process that we have already started. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I just want to ask do you really believe that God has been faithful to you? I ask that because I'm sure many of you, as I have, have felt, Lord, have you really been faithful to me? I don't think you have. If you have felt that as I have, I think this is a question you really need to consider. And one way to answer that question is by asking this. Do I really believe it's possible to be fulfilled while you're unfulfilled and that it's possible to be unfulfilled while you are fulfilled? If your answer to that question is no, <laughs> now's the time to repent. Now's the time to recommit and to be reawakened to the gospel hope. Another thing you can do, take some time, memorize Psalm 84, verse 1 to 4. Write it out. 
Read it every morning. Read it as you go to bed. And be reminded of what true fulfillment is. I might not have that sixth kid that I really want. No. But I know I'm going to be fulfilled. Praise Jesus. Some of you may not have no kids. And yet, you can still say, God, you are faithful. Some of you may never get one of these. But you know what? You can still say, God, you're faithful. Some of you have one of this, and you still have to remind yourself, God, I believe you're faithful. Faithfulness is something God always is, and he'll always be. The question is, do you believe it? Finally, one final resource. Take a good book. I love books. Pastor James blessed me with a, a book this week. It was so good. So I've, I'm really going to miss him when he goes now. But anyway, some books to think about. As you think about what it means to follow Jesus as your forerunner. Maturity uh, by one of our former teachers, Sinclair Ferguson. And another one is Walking Like Jesus Did by Larry McCall. True fulfillment comes through spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity begins by growing in the knowledge of the gospel. Let's begin now. And let's all become a community that is truly fulfilled on our way to ultimate fulfillment. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to see the truth, that you are the only source of fulfillment. And because of that, we know you are absolutely faithful to us, that you are committed in ensuring of completing what you started when we embraced your son as our king, as our savior, as our Lord. And now, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who might have seasons where they struggle to believe, or even those here who don't know you yet and have been searching for so long for what you promise in your word. Father, Help us and meet us where we're at so that we come out of this with people, with hearts set and the real faith of knowing that you are the faithful God. Help us to believe that. Help us to always yearn for it and to chase after it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.